and welcome to another episode of Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. I'm sure that if you're a regular listener of this podcast, or if you just found it for the first time, and welcome, we are so happy you're here, then you've probably contemplated dropping everything, buying a one-way ticket, and exploring some exhilarating foreign destination. Then reality hits you and you think of every reason why you can't and shouldn't do such a crazy, irresponsible thing. Now, what if you had the chance to sit down with someone that has successfully packed all of her things and gone on an adventure that she's been dreaming about for years? What kind of questions would you ask her? And would you begin to formulate your own plan to do it too? That, my friends, is what today's show is all about. In this episode, we're sitting down with Kayla Fratt, a longtime friend of the podcast and the featured guest in episode 28. Kayla began planning her trip along the Pan American Highway in 2016 and has worked diligently since then to make the adventure happen. We connected in the middle of her trip outside of Banff National Park in Canada. Kayla and I chat about so many fantastic topics like how she structured her business to make passive income while she's abroad, how she's managing to balance her work commitments with travel and lack of Wi-Fi connection, why she chose the Pan American Highway for her epic adventure, and resources for anyone that might want to plan their own multi-month expedition. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to be alerted when the next episode drops. Also, there are several exciting updates and changes coming to the podcast soon. Email subscribers will be the first to know. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the podcast shenanigans, head on over to rewildology.com and sign up for fun emails from the show. All right, friends, grab your favorite beverage and join me for a fun chat with Kayla. Hi, Kayla. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yes. And the the atmosphere that you're in and that we're chatting on is very different than the last time I saw you. We were having a wonderful yeah. last lunch in Denver over drinks before you were doing what you're doing now. So tell me, where are you right now? Yeah, so I'm currently just outside of Banff National Park in um, Alberta, Canada. And why are you there? Um, so I am on the <laughs> return portion of doing the top third of the Pan American Highway. <laughs> um, yeah. And okay, so I have to ask, why? Well, I guess the next logical question is, why the heck are you there? What is the Pan American Highway? And is this for fun? Because the whole theme of today is planning your dream trip and mm -hmm. not being scared to do that. Yeah. So what what are you up to? Yeah. So I, I almost think the best way to kind of tell this story is to go a ways back. Um. So when I was... 17, I studied abroad in Panama. Um, I went abroad with a program called AFS. I was in high school and I spent six months um, at a school in Panama. And while I was there, I met a couple people who were biking and or driving the Pan American Highway. And, you know, being like a 17 year old away from my parents for the first time, I was always as an adventurous kid. Um, that was just one of those things where like I ran into those people and it just stuck in my head. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. 
Um, so what the Pan American Highway is, is it is at times official, at times unofficial route that takes you from Prudhoe Bay, Alaska to Ushuaia, Argentina. It's like a 99.8% unbroken string of road. There was one gap in the Darien Gap in southern Panama, just between Panama and Colombia. But otherwise, it is kind of this epic ultimate road trip um, that takes you through, gosh, it's got to be like 16 countries or something like that. And yeah, it was originally, I, I partway through a book on the history of the Pan American Highway. And it actually originally started out as the Pan American Railway. So back in kind of the big railway baron, railway boom. And the, the big idea, and it's actually, it's such a shame that this project didn't go through in a lot of ways, um, because they were really going for like a Pan-American, uniting the continents, uniting all the countries, promoting inter international commerce. Like they were kind of going for like an EU vibe. And this railway was a big way that mm. they were trying to do that. It never ended up happening. There was a lot of government fumbling and like funding problems and, you know, hiring the wrong person for the job. There's all these hilarious stories in the book about people like, you know, like they hire like, you know, nepotism. They hire like, oh, yeah, my secretary's son will go figure out the route through like the mountains of Colombia. And then, you know, okay. everyone gets malaria and dies or whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, long story short, that's the Pan American Highway. I've always wanted to do it. Um Back in 2017, my then boyfriend and I drove, um, we kind of bopped up to Canada and then we drove as far as Panama. So I've done kind of the central component of the Pan American Highway, the U.S. through onto Panama. Um, but I've always wanted to do the full thing. And so last year I bought a Sprinter van kind of with the dual goals of doing the Pan American Highway and also being able to use it for work with canine conservationists. And so... Okay. There's so many things to unpack here. So thank you so much for mm -hmm. explaining first what that was. I honestly didn't even know that this epic highway existed until you yeah. schooled me on it. And like, yeah. no wonder you created all this wonderlust in me too, to know that on our beautiful continent, all the way down to the very, very, very Southern tip of yeah. South America, that there's this one road that you can take to do this epic adventure. Yeah. So... Step number one, how in the world did you make this happen? You are an entrepreneur. You have your own for-profit. You have your own non-profit. You are, and you're also a single woman doing this too. Like there's so yeah. many things to this. So <laughs> how did you even start planning this trip? If Do you remember step number one? Or like, can you take us through this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because I mean, kind of similar to what I in response to your last question, I was like, well, to actually answer that, we have to go back eleven years. Similarly, here, yes, I can think of like step one for this trip, um, but there have been, you know, as I said, I already kind of had a false start where I started and did about a third of the highway, um, and that's probably the better place to start. Um, so there. Um, yeah, I was dating a, this this guy, um, and he basically he he had been reading a bunch about the concept of being a digital nomad, and we were at a music festival, <laughs> um, hanging out, and he kind of like looks up over his book at me, and he's like, "Hey, we should move to Panama," and I was like, "What? No, I work at an animal shelter. <laughs> I can't take that job remotely. Like, I'm a dog trainer. I can't I can't do that remotely." 
also, we have a dog. Like, we're not going to fly to Panama and move there. And then over, you know, the next couple days or whatever, we went back and forth. And, I, and then I ended up acquiescing and escalating to the idea of, okay, fine, but we're going to drive there. Um, which makes it more of a dog-friendly trip, but also makes it into a little bit more of an endeavor. Because it's not just a plane ticket now. And so that was, whew, that was probably fall 2016 when we started that. Maybe... Yeah, must have, or it must have been summer 2016. I'm not quite sure on the timeline there. And so at that point, I had already kind of started a blog. I was running Journey Dog Training at the time. And um, I basically started reading everything I could about figuring out how to make both remote work happen and then also kind of with the goal of like passive recurring income. So I had this blog and just kept writing at it, kept writing at it, kept writing at it, and then started picking up freelance writing jobs and freelance web design jobs. And this was all while I was still working full time at the animal shelter. And about six months in between him planting the idea and us leaving, um, I was able to kind of get to the point where I was cobbling together enough income that I could quit the job at the shelter and we could actually go. Yeah, there were definitely like books and websites and resources that I use that I can drop if if people want, if you want. But that's that's the the narrative version of the story. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get to that part too. That at the very end of this, just yeah, if you want to give all the resources if somebody wants to do that cuz I feel like Definitely. The another reason why I really wanted to sit down with you and talk about this is I feel like a lot of people listening has at least thought about doing something like this. I've thought about it so many right. times mm -hmm. that I've like daydreamed about it multiple times. So it's just like to have the opportunity to sit down with somebody who's made it happen is so special because yeah. yeah, you can go on Instagram and you can go on YouTube and follow all these travel bloggers and everything, but they don't actually tell you yeah, how they did it, why they did it. And also none of the shitty stuff too. Cause like there is yeah. pros and cons to this. It's not all just Instagram worthy stuff. So I would love to yeah. get into all of that too. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, before we started, you're talking yeah. about, yeah, so maybe I shower like two days a week. Like they don't show yeah. on <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, right now swimming counts as showering is the, uh, is the vibe we've got right now. Um, yeah, no, and it's, it's funny because I feel like for me, what I really, the biggest hurdle I had when I was planning this trip the first time around was finances. I was just mm. like, I was working a job. So at the time I was working as an animal behavior consultant at a shelter, at an animal shelter. So that was just the sort of job where it was like, there's no way, shape or form you can make this remote. Like we've all been through COVID. We know that like way more jobs can be done remotely than you think. However, that was a job that I, I don't know what my team members, teammates did through COVID, but they were still going into the shelter as far as I know. Mm. Um, even through, you know, the shelter workers were considered essential workers. So it's just, it's the sort of thing that like, even in hindsight with COVID, it was not a job I was going to be able to take on the road. So that was really my biggest concern and my biggest hurdle at the time. And I went through all sorts of permutations of trying to figure out how to make remote work work. You know, I was like, maybe I can teach English. Maybe I can do translation. My Spanish is pretty darn good. I could probably translate. Maybe I build websites. Um, I spent a bunch of time. Upwork was kind of my main source for that where um, I was finding freelance writing and web design gigs. Um, but it can be a really scammy website. <laughs> there were definitely times where people oh. would, you know, have me write a test piece, I would submit it, they would never pay, and then I would never 
have a way to remedy that. So that was really rough. But eventually I did kind of find a couple really good long-term clients that asked for, I have one client that I've been working with now since 2017. And at the peak of me writing for her, I was writing three articles a week. So she was pretty much paying for this trip. Um, And now I write like an article a month for her just because I really like her and care about the website, the work she does. Um, But yeah, so that was always my biggest hurdle. That was always the biggest thing that I was scared of was figuring out how to afford this because I don't have a trust fund. I don't, yeah, I don't have anything (laughs) to fall back on. I was, I was 23 the first time I started planning this trip. Now I'm 28 And luckily, because of the work that I was doing back then, even though I I ended up getting, as we talked about last time, I had that dream job with working dogs for conservation, I had a steady paycheck, journey dog training, I kind of kept writing for it, I kind of kept working on the website on the nights and weekends, much less intensively, but I kept writing and I kept working on this website. And um, I got to the point where now, like while I was at working dogs for conservation, I was making almost as much money through journey dog training as I was through my salary, even though I was probably only spending four or five hours a week on journey dog training. And then when I lost my job at working dogs for conservation, obviously that was a huge <laughs> lifesaver. So this time around, the question wasn't the money as much. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I make like $22,000 a year. Like I, I'm not, I'm not rolling in it, but it's enough to do a trip like this. Um, if you're smart <laughs> and careful and don't have other, you know, like I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I don't have some of these big expenses. I don't have massive student loan debt. And I get, I don't have any tips on any of those other than like I didn't buy a house. I didn't have kids. And I was really lucky with my financial aid package when I was in college. Um, so this time around, the big thing that I was really trying to figure out is like particularly the northern bit of the Pan American Highway. So as you're going north, basically everywhere north of like, Eh, Vancouver, Kelowna area, British Columbia, it starts getting really remote. Um, So I was really trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to have with me? How do I stay safe? What do I need to pack? You know, if I'm packing for everything from like plus 90 to, you know, potentially negative 10 in a van, like how do I pack for that? How do I prepare for it? I need to have a full spare. I need to figure out how to change a tire. How much diesel do I need to bring? Um, You know, so this time around, I've been much more focused on the logistics. And how did you figure that out? I know that might seem like an obvious (laughs) question, but at the same time, I I don't know. Like, did you like write a list or did you go somewhere and see like, this is the things I had to make sure I had prepared or, and, and also how long did this take you to plan? So what I've been kind of doing, it's funny, I, I am both, I'm kind of a, I'm a relatively by the seat of my pants traveler, <laughs> relatively. Um, so <laughs> for example, like three days before we crossed the Canadian border, I was like, oh sh- shoot, I should Google like, like I know that the Canadian border has reopened. That was the, I was going to do this trip last summer, summer mm. 2021, and the Canadian border never reopened. Um But yeah, so I was like, like three days before we were planning on crossing the border, I was like, crap, I should make sure like we don't need COVID tests or something to get into Canada. (laughs) Um, So there have definitely been some kind of hiccups like that already where it's like, "Eh, it would have been good to research that a little bit earlier. But my big planning generally revolves around, um, I will get the waterproof like Nat Geo country maps. They're not super detailed road maps, but they're really good for kind of... Flinging it out on the floor, being able to pick out big national parks or big remote areas, 
and then kind of using that as a launching point to Google stuff. So I would kind of, what it, it looks crazy, <laughs> but what I would often do is I would like have the map open on one, in one spot, my computer open somewhere else and my phone open somewhere else. And I would have the, I would have Google maps open in one tab with like the overall route so that I kind of knew like, you know, I don't know some of these provinces really well. So when I was like looking at, you know, in my head, people would be like, oh my gosh, are you going to go through Yellowknife? And I would be like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know how far <laughs> west that is. Um, so I would have the map open um, both on Google Maps so that I had the route, but then on the, the Nat Geo map, then I would kind of be able to say like, ooh, okay, Baron, Baron Wells Provincial Park. That looks really interesting. Like, or like Wells Gray Provincial Park. That looks interesting. And then I'd pull that up and Google it. And just usually I kind of go through the official, the official websites first. So like, you know, Parks Canada. Um, because the first thing I'm looking for then is making sure it's dog friendly. Mm. <laughs> and then once somewhere is dog friendly, then I might start kind of looking more at travel blogs or all trails, really. Um, I, I'm not huge into travel blogs or travel YouTube or Instagram or anything. I mean, I use Instagram a lot, but I don't use it to plan my trips. And then on the map as well, I would then kind of start circling places that had fuel, um, particularly when I was in the Yukon and Northwest Territories. I made sure to circle all of the places that I was going to pass through that had fuel and other like kind of basic supplies so that I, you know, knew roughly where I needed to be. They're really good about having signage saying like, hey, your next fuel is in 250K, like stop now if you need fuel. <laughs> but, um, you know, just in case like I forget or I'm not looking when I drive past that sign or something. Um... Yeah. And then the biggest, the, the final thing that I do is I do have a spreadsheet. Um, so I have like a Google sheet that has the date, my anticipated location, and then kind of activities slash driving time. And I just kind of will plug in dates. And generally what I'm doing is I'm only planning out specifically about a week in advance. So I'm kind of constantly like rolling and updating my schedule. And that I've found works really well for me because then if something happens, like actually a week ago now-ish, um, I got a flat tire. So that delayed me by like three hours. Um, and part of that is also because I'm traveling in the van, I don't have to worry about campsite reservations, hotel reservations, those sorts of things. Versus when my ex and I did the Central American portion of the trip last time, we were staying in Airbnbs. So we had a lot less flexibility and we did have to plan further out. So there are kind of differences as far as the amount of flexibility you have. And I've tried to be good about knowing like when I, when I was new, okay, I think these are the dates I'm going to be in Tuktoyaktuk, um, which is the, the little village on, um, on the Arctic ocean that I was going to probably a month out from that, I started calling guiding outfitters and locals and like trying to organize stuff because I knew that was like a big central component. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was almost like a, like a pillar of the trip. Like, okay, mm -hmm. like this is like one of the big highlights that I'm definitely going to be doing that. So that makes sense. Like almost yeah. starting there and filling in the gaps. <laughs> exactly. It was like, I know I want to be above the Arctic circle for the longest day of the year. So then like, how do we work backwards from that? And then, you know, I know, for example, it's my mom's birthday tomorrow. So my mom and sister are flying into Banff today. They probably have landed already and then are just driving over from Calgary. You know, so it's like, okay, I have to be back in Banff by July 1. So 
knowing that I want to be in the Arctic Circle around June 20th and I have to be in Banff by July 1. Now we pull out the map, we pull out the Google Maps, we, you know, we start figuring out. Um, and what I did do and what I try to do is kind of figure out roughly like how many hours per day or how many hours per week I need to be averaging of driving and then kind of back back plan and backfill my hikes and my, my work days, um, you know, my Starbucks days or whatever around that. Um, so like I've already done um, the calculation of it's about 130 hours from Medellin, Colombia to Ushuaia, Argentina. So if I'm planning on doing that in about 17 weeks of driving, I know that's about eight hours a week of driving. I'm sure it'll end up being more than that because that doesn't include any <laughs> side trips or anything. Um, you know, that's just like stay it on the highway, which of course we're not going to do. But it's like, oh, OK, eight hours a week. That gives like knowing that number makes me feel like 17 weeks is probably of course, it's never enough time, <laughs> but it's it's a benchmark that's like, OK, so this is doable. And if I stick with this timeline, it's not like I'm going to be driving for six hours a day every day because I certainly don't want to be doing that. Right. Yeah. And so, OK, so that that's the logistics of the trip itself. That makes yeah. absolute sense. Now, from like a living systems standpoint, mm -hmm. so I'm thinking about myself, like or if anybody listening has a remote job or they're building something like a podcast or, or a blog or they're building something that is digital that doesn't have to be in person. Mm -hmm. Did you have to make new systems or just stop doing stuff? Like I was away for a week in North Carolina and like <laughs> everything just stopped when I left. And so like, what have you been able to do to keep all of your stuff rolling while you're on this yeah. big trip. Yeah, th and that has been a huge challenge, um, definitely. And I have not been perfect about it. I <laughs> I had a yappy hour scheduled for a bunch of conservation detection dog handlers um, for the day that I was going to be in Stewart, Alaska. And I assumed that's a big touristy town. It should be fine. My ferry was delayed by an hour, so I ended up getting to shore about 15 minutes after the meeting was supposed to have started, mm. which is, you know, that's bad. But then I realized there's no cell service in Stuart, <laughs> which also means I can't just like open the Zoom from my phone and also means I can't pull up my phone to figure out where the nearest library or coffee shop or whatever is. So, you know, I ended, like, long story short, I ended up like having to slack everyone that I had invited to this happy hour, like two days later when I got cell service the next time and be like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> so it certainly has not been perfect. However, um, the biggest thing that I found is I am constantly reminding myself that email is not an emergency. Like I, it is so easy to get into this habit of like, as soon as you sit down at your desk, you open your email and all, next thing you know, it's like two o'clock. You haven't eaten lunch yet. And all you've done is check email. It's not an emergency. It's just not. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll kind of scan things, you know, I'll, I'll give myself like 10, 15 minutes to scan my email. If there's anything that truly is an emergency, it's never truly an emergency, but it was an emergency, they wouldn't be emailing you. They'd be calling, <laughs> but you know, it's right. something a little bit more time sensitive. <laughs> I will respond to those. And then the rest I'm like, I have, instead of an autoresponder, because I think they're obnoxious, um, 
I have, you know, my email signatures, like Kayla Fratt, blah, blah, blah. Here's my Twitter, Instagram. And then at the bottom, it says, please note I work unusual hours and often take several days to respond to, pro- to emails. And I just don't worry about it. And then it's a lot of triage. Um, like, for example, my podcast, um, that is something that is more challenging. Like the writing work I do um, and even vlogging, because um, I've been keeping a vlog as I do this trip. Um, I can edit video and write and those things in the evenings from the van when I don't have cell service. So I'm able to do those things. And then podcasting is really, really hard. So I, I knew that I was going to be going on this trip. So starting in December and then January and February and into March, I just, I was recording like three or four podcast episodes a week so that I had a backlog going and I just now am hitting the end of that backlog and starting to fill in some of the podcast episodes again. So yeah, work is hard. I think like those are some of the things that are working for me. The biggest thing again is that I'm probably only working between eight and 20 hours a week while I'm doing this trip. Um, And if you're trying to maintain a job for a boss and just working remotely, you would have to figure out a different system than what I've got going. Mm, that makes total sense. So that would yeah. probably be like the first trip you did, that would make more sense. Like getting mm-hmm. the Airbnb where you know you're going to have reliable Wi-Fi, you can be at exactly. the house from whatever hours are negotiated with you and your boss. So that mm-hmm. makes total sense. Since you've been able to go more remote and comp- you are your own boss, there is nobody yeah. that is above Kayla. Kayla makes the decisions <laughs> and she yeah. decides and, what to do when. <laughs> and I designed my business in a way. And this is like, this is the stuff that I feel like, and you know, you and I were kind of talking about this when we were prepping, like one of the biggest books that influenced me that I read as I was preparing for this back in 2016, 2017 was Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek. Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss can be kind of a polarizing figure. Um, I love him and I hate him sometimes, but um, one of the things I'm not sure this book talks about it enough is thinking about the type of business that you're creating as, um, as something that A, you can do for only four hours a week and B, potentially you could then do while traveling. For example, it might be possible to only work four hours a week as some super uber high level consultant in some field, I don't know. You know, maybe like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who makes money because I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> you might be able to survive off of four hours a week of work doing some, you know, ridiculous high-end life coach, whatever thing. I don't know. But you probably have to do that in person and you're probably geographically loca- lo- uh, limited. And then on the flip side, like my ex um, runs a digital marketing company. He was on Zoom probably six or eight hours a day, a lot of days. And he was Mm. building websites and he was doing all this stuff that really required fast, consistent internet. And he had a lot of meetings. So he didn't have a lot of flexibility to just be like, oh my gosh, there's live music downtown at eight o'clock. Let's go. You know, because he would have a meeting at that time. Um, So there's a lot of stuff to think about. And it was one of the things that we definitely struggled with traveling together because I was very much so on the side of like, well, we're in Panama now. I just want to go take surfing lessons. Like we can be poor. It's fine. And he was like, no, I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to build an empire. I Like he was really focused on that. And there were definitely times like I would just go and travel without him for a day. And now I'm doing it alone, which definitely has its own downsides. But um, at least I don't have to argue with anyone about my itinerary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And thanks for that, because there are so many things now. They're like, which a lot of them are valid 
ways that people have have separated themselves from location. And you yeah. see them, we're all bombarded on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and Facebook ads and all this stuff. And a lot of them are real, they are valid, but they're not sure. necessarily correct for all of us, just like you pointed out. Yeah. One of the biggest things that is different about my business now than it was in 2017. In 2017, I was making most of my money, both building websites and working more for clients. Like I was more of a freelance writer than an entrepreneur, and now that's flipped. But I also, as an entrepreneur, I was making a lot of my money doing one-on-one behavior consulting. So people would be like, oh my gosh, my dog bit my nephew. I'm going to pay you 80 bucks for an hour long phone call. So I was still pretty limited by that. And now Journey Dog Training is primarily a content website. So people can read blogs for free. But there's a lot of ads on the website. And I'm really sorry. I know the UI sucks on that. Um, (laughs) But that just makes me, it makes me money. Like I get between 50 and $80 a day through my advertising platform on the website. And I'm super open about all these numbers. And I think I'm really passionate about that because I think, yeah. And I, I think it's really important to, yeah, to, to talk about, you know, it's not that much money. It's, it's very much so not. However, it's, it's also a lot of money and, um, it, it only works because of the type of business I was able to set up for myself. Like my ex, his business, and I, I keep bringing him up just because, you know, it's a comparison, I guess. But like his business is never going to run itself the way that mine can. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I also tell people, if, if people do kind of come to me and literally like ask, okay, how did you do this? How could I do this for myself? I'm always telling people it. If I set out on day one, when I launched Journey Dog Training, to be able to live this lifestyle, I would have quit a hundred times before I got here because it took so long to make any real amount of money doing it. It was 2016, I think our annual revenue was like $500. 2017, it was like a thousand. And like, it was, it was spring 2019 when I, which funnily enough is when we returned from Panama, when I'm had my first $500 month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, which, which was huge. And then now I'm at about $2,000 a month and I've been there for about a year and a half now. Um, I haven't been able to really get past that, um, which is a little frustrating. It would be nice to eat more sushi um, and like go out more. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, like, Again, I think I think if I wasn't really passionate about journey dog training and I really started journey dog training in this way of like, I want to be able to help people with their pets and I want to do that for free for them. If I had started it with the goal of making money, I would have quit. If I had started it with the goal of becoming a digital nomad and traveling the world, I would have quit. It took too long. And I think that's another thing that, again, like Tim Ferriss and some of these other folks just don't talk about enough is like how long it took and how much grind there is. Amen. I feel that all the time still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, I, yeah. mean, I mean, everyone's like, it's just so easy from the outside to just see somebody crushing it and be like, oh my God, you're amazing. You make it look so easy. And then mm-hmm. now being on the other side of building, you know, Rewildology and this brand and this podcast and, it's all based on passion. And let me tell you, some days I just want to say, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> yep. well, but I like, haven't. And, <laughs> and I won't. And you, don't, and you don't know. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing. Like, I'm in the same place with canine conservationists where I'm like, 
I don't know if five years from now I'm going to be looking at, you know, I'm going to be making money with canine conservationists and looking back on it and being like, well, thank God I stuck with that. Like mm-hmm. I'm sticking with it out of passion because again, if I was, if I was worried about the money, I think at some point it would become the logical choice to pull the plug on some of these businesses. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I'm working with our mutual friend Charles right now on getting his Gulo and Nature blog launched and up mm-hmm. and running and trying to figure out how to get him to the point where he's, you know, got something similar from Gulo as what I have from Journey. And, you know, trying to go back and like recreate the success that I've had, even though I did it once, like... On one hand, we have these conversations where I'm like, oh my gosh, I do know so much. I know so much about SEO and I know so much <laughs> about UI and uh, which is user, user, well, UI is user interface. Like, now I don't even know. UX <laughs> is user experience. Um, like, I know a lot of these things, but then still like, you know, I've only done it once. And like most of these influencers, they've also only done it once. Like right. we don't know <laughs> for every one of us, there's probably five other people who had just as much passion and just as much talent and just as much dedication. And like, for whatever reason, it didn't work. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> it's like when you ask people like what makes it work with you and your husband, it's like, I don't know. I've only been married <laughs> once. Like <laughs> it works for us, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. That was the best enough. <laughs> I mean, people still try. <laughs> people still try to give advice, but like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Oh my gosh, that was so good. That was so good. Yeah, Ooh, I am passion talking. I'm no, sorry. I love it. I, why would you ever apologize? That's what we knew that this conversation was going to be more of a yeah. conversation, and I'm so happy and just how with how transparent you are and, and being able to bring up these things because yeah. again. You don't see this on Instagram. You don't see Mm-mm. what we're talking about and everything that had to go into it doesn't putting fit it in together. A tweet. No, exactly. And how <laughs> or like some ad or whatever to yeah. make your dream trip happen mm-hmm. and make it for an extended period of time without going completely broke or without it somehow inheriting a large chunk of money where you're just able to just <laughs> quit everything and go which some people do have that yeah opportunity you know a relative dies or i've got one of my good friends has is able to live a lifestyle very similar to mine and it's because of horrific family tragedy that you would Mm. absolutely not wish on anyone you know like exactly (laughs) you don't want to be doing this because of a life insurance payout right no i would you would much rather have your loved one versus that horrible situation yeah (laughs) and again yeah we don't really get to talk about that much because just the way algorithms are on social media all you see are the highlights I mean I am very bad about that and I'm trying to get better about just being more transparent about behind the scenes stuff even building the podcast and stuff Mm -hmm. and, and just and my travels and the bad things that happen when you're randomly stuck at an airport at 1 30 a.m and you look like shit and haven't showered in 24 hours and, <laughs> and all the other things you know that you're that you just go through whenever this is the lifestyle that you are building. life is messy oh uh-huh. my god it's so freaking messy on that okay okay so one of the next yeah. questions i really wanted to ask you about is so i'm a woman which mm-hmm. is obvious I hope mm-hmm. that it's obvious. And <laughs> and you are as well. And you are yeah. traveling in a country that you are not a citizen of. You are a solo traveler. You are doing this yourself. How have you navigated that level of thing? Because I've thought about this a lot. And I have traveled by myself 
to some countries that people are like, you're doing what? And I'm like, yeah, I was totally fine. But for an extended period of time, I don't know Mm -hmm. how I would feel. So how have you been able to mentally get over that hurdle? And then do you have any tips for other women that might be considering solo traveling? Yeah, um, I, I, I hope I do. Um, so, you know, to be totally transparent, like, you know, Canada, yes, it's a different country, but it, you know, it doesn't quite feel, it's not, it's not quite the same. So I have been solo traveling now for about two months, but it's, it's Canada. And it, obviously <laughs> people get murdered here. I did have like, I did drive the Highway of Tears, which is like missing and murdered indigenous women capital. And I'm not an indigenous woman. I'm not vulnerable in the same way some of those populations are, but it's still a little eerie. Um, and obviously incredibly tragic for those communities as well. Um, much more so than my experience. <laughs> but um, yeah, so anyway, going back as like a female solo traveler, I so... My biggest thing, honestly, is I have the dogs. Um, I really feel like they are built in. We have six eyes. We've got six ears. Their ears are way better than mine. And they are a really good deterrent. You know, just statistically speaking, most people who wish you harm are probably unlikely to bother someone who has two medium to large dogs with them. Yeah, so I've had a lot of people ask, like, do I carry a gun? And if I don't, why don't I? And I don't. A huge part of that for me is just the logistics of interstate, tra- international travel with a gun um, is a big hurdle. Like, <laughs> I, um, when I cross into Nicaragua, I am going to have to figure out how to hide and smuggle my drone into that country. I don't want to <laughs> have to be dealing with that with a gun as well. Um, right. Luckily, they'd probably just confiscate it if they did find it. But, like, and then the other thing is, you know... <laughs> like realistically again going back to the gun thing it's like if I'm storing my gun safely and responsibly it's unlikely to be super helpful in in most of these situations that we are worried about um because I shouldn't be storing it loaded and unlocked um and if I have time to like unlock and load my gun I have time to like come up with another plan potentially so anyway like uh, the gun doesn't make sense I do. Then the other big thing is I am in contact with my parents and a couple key friends pretty much every day. My my dad is really it's like every day with my dad. And part of that is so that someone would notice if I don't message. And I, I am pretty good about telling them, like, you know, when I left um, Dawson City, um, which is kind of up in the Yukon Gold Rush area area. I was like, Dad, I don't think I'm going to have cell service till I get to Inuvik. I'm planning on getting to Inuvik this day. And then I have a spot beacon as well, um, which is primarily designed for hiking and backpacking, but I'm able to um, also message people with that. So I have messaged my dad in particular a couple times, just kind of letting him know, hey, I'm camped outside of Rake Mountain in Tombstone National Park, uh, still a couple days out from Inuvik, but you know, I'm here, I'm safe, haven't been eaten, gotten eaten by a bear yet. So far in Canada, you know, my worries <laughs> are grizzly bears, not people. Um, so it's bear spray that I'm worried about (laughs) when I get to Latin America though. Like I am very much. So one of the nice things is in Latin America, dogs are actually a better deterrent in Latin America than they are in the U S when people see dogs Mm. in the U S they think, Oh my gosh, best friend, cuddle, cuddle. Can I pet it? The first question I get asked when I'm in Latin America with my dogs is usually does it bite? And people kind Mm. of automatically Mm -hmm. give dogs space, give dogs respect. 
Um, so even like more minor things like pickpocketing, if I'm out walking my dogs, at least I think I've got, I, I've got a lot more protection. So, but for female travelers, well, that's not the case. Um, I think, you know, it's a lot of the same smart travel stuff. It's, you know, maybe don't keep, don't, don't be flashy about displays of wealth. Don't get yourself into trouble. Don't argue with people. Don't, you know, like Keep your head up. Try not to look like a tourist. Um, the other thing that I do find helps a lot in Latin America is that I speak fluent and relatively low accent Spanish, um, which tends to give me a lot of very instantaneous street cred. And I've been in a couple situations that may have been a little nerve wracking, but I find that generally speaking, as soon mm. as I start speaking Spanish, people kind of are like, oh, weird the little blonde gringa like actually speaks pretty good Spanish and then it almost turns like I've had situations that like I felt very nervous like I had sweat trickling down my spine and then they're like wait where did you learn to speak such good Spanish and then it like turns into like this total other conversation and maybe I was just being paranoid I don't know but yeah you know like I try not I try to never look lost um I try to not make it very clear that I'm alone um you know, obviously there are a lot of times I'm out without my dogs. Like if I'm going out dancing, um, which I do still do, I obviously don't bring my dogs to the salsa club. <laughs> like, so there it's just, it's just a lot of trying to be, you know, trying to stay on my toes and I don't get too tipsy and I watch my drink and, you know, it's the same stuff I do in the U.S. It's no different from what I do in Denver. Right. Right. No, those were absolutely fantastic tips. And and also thanks for just making it a little bit more reassuring too. That like yeah. just your smart, savvy traveler things. I mean, yeah, I've I've been in uncomfortable situations too, but with everything you just said, nothing nothing progressed in any way, shape, or form. It was the things that I was really uncomfortable when um, just using pretty much those exact same tips you gave was able to get out of those situations and, and nothing yeah. bad came of them. But okay. So we've been having some very. Yeah. And I think, sorry, one more thing to go throw ahead, in go there. Ahead, go ahead. Cause I was just talking to someone about this, you know, they like, for example, when we were in Mexico in 2018, we were in, um, uh, what's the city just North of Cabo. We were in a city at the point that it was the murder capital of the world. Ooh. And, you know, like, okay, that's not a stat we love. But then you <laughs> dig into those stats and it's mostly it's mostly gay violence, retaliatory killings against journalists and police officers and political stuff. Mm, it's nothing like, to do with it's agreeing nothing, <laughs> It's nothing to do with you. So, like, right. yes, be careful. Yes, be aware. But... Like, statistically speaking, stuff the really bad stuff, it, it, it's not it's not indiscriminate violence. Just even in these places that feel really or like these statistically scary places or whatever, it's still like it's not like there's just like bullets flying light, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like that. Like if it was, nobody would ever go to Chicago either. <laughs> No, okay, I love that you brought that up because I have to say that to my clients all the time that, you know, travel at the company that I work with is they're like, oh my God, you know, wherever I'm going to is a level whatever from the, the step, you know, the whatever, STP, whatever that stands for. And I was like, you want to know something really funny? Look what other countries have for the United States. And that should put it in perspective for you. It's like, are yeah. you comfortable going to Chicago? Are you comfortable going to New York, LA, whatever? 
just look what Australia has for the United States and then tell me if you have a different view. Of course, I do not say it like this. Um, I have my glass of wine is gone. And so (laughs) I do not talk Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. my travelers in this way. I swear to God, I'm way more practiced than that. But you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. I I mean, yeah, I was talking to a friend who's considering joining me for part of the trip and she was asking, you know, like, how safe is it? And I was like, well, realistically, we're probably in more danger in our high schools in the U.S. You know, like, like, yeah, (laughs) like, um, which isn't comforting necessarily. Like, let's get real Um, real now. (laughs) But yeah, so far I haven't. So far, the only negative interactions I've had on these sorts of trips have primarily been bribery situations with cops. And they're uh, they're a little exhilarating, it's a little scary, but um speaking the language helps a lot, thinking on your feet and you know, yeah, you know, being socially savvy uh and careful in those situations. Like, I don't know, I don't have I don't have anything better than that. Yeah. And just like you said, just being a very aware person. And luckily with you, you have the capability of traveling with your dog. So I'm sure that's insanely helpful. But okay, so we've talked about a lot of like logistic things and systems and how to fund your life Mm -hmm. and do this at the exact same time. But let's let's go back to the super fun part. Tell me some of yeah. the highlights of your adventures. What have you seen? Oh like, God. make me wonderlust yeah. filled right now. Tell me all the cool shit you've done. I know. I was almost thinking we should have started with this so that people yeah. don't drop <laughs> off and miss it. But, but, but maybe we'll just tease it at the start. Um, I yeah. don't know. I'm not your producer. It's your job. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Um, the, so the big highlight of the trip, like the biggest thing that I was really, really excited for for this leg was that I wanted to spend the summer solstice in the Arctic Circle. I wanted to be at the point where I was far enough north that the sun didn't set on the longest day of the year. I wanted to experience That's that. That's cool. And so that, yeah, that was my big my big goal. And so on the summer solstice, I actually did end up being a little bit south of the Arctic Circle on that day just because of some logistical snafus. And But it ended up being still pretty incredible because honestly at some point once when the sun is setting at midnight and rising at four or the sun is setting at two and rising at three it doesn't really matter that it is technically setting it never gets dark (laughs) um and so where i was i was just north of tombstone national park at this point which is just an absolutely superb gorgeous park um kind of up the dempster highway in the yukon um, and I got out, I, I pulled over, I drove until about midnight, I pulled over and I got out and I got the dogs ready and we went for a hike up this ridgeline mountain that as far as I can tell is unnamed. There were cairns, there was a trail, but I have not been able for the life of me to figure out the name of this trail or mountain or anything. Um, so I've been calling it Solstice Mountain because um, that's when I did it. Um, <laughs> uh, that's and awesome. we, Yeah. And yeah, so we started hiking at midnight. The sun was just starting to, like, it wasn't setting, but we were getting colors in the sky. Um, And then the sun kind of blooped behind the horizon, um, probably around 1.30 or 2. And then came back up again, you know, just like 15 degrees away. And so we had like a four-hour 
sunrise to sunset hike. Um, when I got out of the car, there was colors going. When I got back to the car at 4 a.m., the colors were still going. I went to bed, so I didn't get to, you know, get the whole thing. But that was just, it was just magical. It was so cold and I was so <laughs> tired, but it was, you know, it was exactly what I wanted. Um, let's see, what else did we do? We swam in the Arctic Ocean. We had to do that. So we got up to the Arctic Ocean and I'm really bummed I screwed up. We got up there on the first day we got there. It was like 75 or 80 degrees and I should have gone swimming, but I was yeah. gonna, I was like waiting for the next day because um, it was like 7 p.m. or whatever. And I was like, well, I'll just swim tomorrow. Um, and then the next day, like, the high was, like, 43 or something all day. <laughs> oh, so we went swimming, and it was freezing and terrible and wonderful, and I'm so glad I did it. Um, and that was, that was like, the big part of the reason, because, you know, when we were first talking about the history of the Pan American Highway, I said that the Pan American Highway goes to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. You may notice I have not mentioned Prudhoe Bay. I took an alternative route several hundred miles to the east up the Dempster Highway, um, which up until 2017, it went from kind of think like Whitehorse Dawson area. It goes up from there to Inuvik, um, which is in the Northwest Territories. And up until 2017, that's where it ended in the summer. And then there was a winter ice road north of there. Um, but in 2017, they completed an all season highway that goes north from Inuvik up to this town of Tuktoyaktuk, um, which is right on the shores of the Arctic Ocean. And the big reason that I really wanted to get all the way to the Arctic Ocean is because I promised the dogs I could go swim in the, Ar in the Arctic Ocean. And <laughs> I know they don't speak English. I'm aware of that. But it was very important to me because I'm doing this trip with the dogs. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's about us doing this together. And if you go to Prudhoe Bay, the Pan American Highway actually ends eight miles before the Arctic Ocean. And then from there, you hop on an like a kind of like a tourist bus sort of setup. Um, and it wasn't dog friendly. Mm. Um, and you are not allowed to drive. You're not allowed to walk. You're not allowed to do like any workarounds. And that just wasn't as appealing to me. I would have done it if this uh, Tuk Tuk highway didn't exist, but um, I'm really glad the road to Tuk is open now. And uh, we were able to do that instead. That's awesome. And you are currently in Banff, right? Yes. And mm, I love it there. I am in love. <laughs> yeah i uh, well and this so one of the, the the coolest things about traveling alone so far has been just the people i meet like mm. when you're traveling alone people approach you more you approach other people more it's like it, yeah it's just it's a really different experience so um when i first got to jasper which is just north of banff i Went for a hike. I timed it really nicely. So when I'm in these really big, really popular parks, what I try to do is I'll often start my hikes at like 5 or 6 p.m. And I almost aim for the bad weather. So it was like we did one of the more popular hikes in the park, but we started at 5.30 p.m. and it was drizzling. Um, so we had it almost to ourselves, which was great. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day I get up and I go to do Sulphur Skyline, um, which is another really popular hike in the park. Um, and I get up relatively early and there's only one other car in the parking lot that I see. And we like get out of our car at the same time. It was one of those times where I was like, oh God, I'm going to be like going back and forth. Like one of these girls like looks way too cute. She's got like really cute leggings and stuff. I was like, ugh, like, I don't know. I don't like her. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, like, and, you know, just, it was like one of those things where I was just being overly grouchy about like a beautiful day. And then. Maybe a half kilometer into the, the hike, I catch up to them. 
and I was kind of going to pass them and one of them says something about um about one of my dogs and I kind of respond and then we kind of fall in and we end up hiking the whole hike together turns Aww. out these ladies are just the coolest ladies Heidi um who I've told you about actually she is a yes. human wildlife coexistence officer She's been in Jasper for 26 years. She's raised her kids there. She's worked every job in the book. And then Haley is someone who's renting one of her spare rooms and works at um, Friends Friends of Jasper. And they just, like, totally adopted me. Like, at the end of the Mm -hmm. hike, they were like, what are you doing for lunch? Do you need a place to shower? Like, tonight we're going out to – we're going dancing. Like, do you want to come? And, like, I just ended up spending, like, three glorious days in Jasper with, like, the coolest ladies on the planet. And um, it's just – it was, like, one of those things where it was, like, this is what I want out of being able to travel alone. Like, I want to be able to run into these people and have these serendipitous interactions. And I honestly think if I had someone else that I was hiking with, we just wouldn't have chatted enough to fall in with each other that way. That just – well, like – the whole story just gave me chills. I just, I love meeting people when I travel. It just like you said, it's, it's one of the most profound experiences when somehow through some sort of random fate, you meet this person that couldn't be further from where you're from or your background. And you completely connect on a very different level like that. And the experiences you have, like, come on, would you have gone dancing to wherever you went? Had you not met those girls? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, right? Yeah, I was I was very much so not planning on going dancing in Jasper. That was not <laughs> on the agenda. I was like, I was thinking sweeping ridgeline vistas and freaky blue lakes and that was it. And yeah, it was just it was great. It was so fun. Um Yeah, I mean, this whole, there's just been so many components on this trip that have been really cool. And it's also really interesting, like, when you're looking at a trip like the Pan American Highway, like, I know how different this Canada leg is from what Mexico is going to be like. And that's Mm. going to be so different from Panama, from Colombia, from Chile, from Argentina, like, everywhere I go is going to be so different. And like, I know that I'm not going to be doing these like sweeping, massive, high alpine ridgeline hikes when I'm in Panama. I'm probably going to be going and dancing bachata and like surfing and eating tacos. Well, not tacos, because Panama doesn't really do tacos. We're doing birria (laughs) and, you know, cigala pollo. And uh, yeah, and that's something that I both love and and is also challenging about a trip like this. You know, I, there are parts of, Like, I'll probably work a little bit more when I'm in Central America than I did in Canada because it's going to be too hot to want to go do much during some pretty big chunks of the day. And there's not a lot of hiking. There's far less stuff that's dog friendly. I don't really surf. Um, I'm like kind of sort of learning, but that's not dog friendly. So, you know, like Latin America is actually quite a bit trickier as far as the dogs are concerned. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You are making me yeah. just want to so someone who <laughs> is so full of wonderlust and just yeah, I, I want know. to see every single nook and cranny of this absolutely beautiful planet and the beautiful people that are everywhere. It's the more people yeah. I meet, the more places I go, 
I just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by yeah. every single place I've been. And just like to hear like your adventures are no. I hope everybody feels the exact same way. Like yeah. I hope you are just getting feeling inspired for your next trip, which is one of the top reasons why I wanted to have you on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be cool to have you on afterwards, but you're in like the heart of it right now. Like you are. I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. You were in the middle of it. Like <laughs> you were so yeah. in the middle of it that we had to coordinate. When you would even have Wi-Fi to do Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's also, it's one of those things I love about road trips. Like, yeah, gas prices have been, it is a rough summer to be doing a road trip like this right now. But, you know, that's the big thing that gives me this flexibility and these, like, just a lot of these, like, serendipitous interactions and all that stuff. Like, it's. It's so, it's so nice to be able to, and really like getting out and just having these like tiny interactions at like random gas stations on the side of the road in the Yukon. Like you don't get those when you're, when you're flying in somewhere. Um, and not right. that, you know, I was just in Kenya and like I flew there and I was shuttled around and pampered and taken care of. And the wild source was just absolutely fabulous with taking care of us and, all that. And that was great, but it's, oh my gosh, but it's so different, you know? And there's, I I would say one's better than the other, but it's, there are a lot of very different ways to travel and see the world. And I think I like the variety and a lot of people probably um, are happy figuring out with exactly what works best for them. Yeah. And on that, since you've been amazing, giving us an entire, just plethora of tips, are there any particular resources or tools yeah. that you have found that with that have been in, you know instrumental in making this trip happen? Just for if anybody listening that maybe like uh, I know that you mentioned some um, technology that you use to connect mm-hmm. with family or, or other resources. What would those be for anybody who wants to make a similar trip wherever that might be? Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so many and it's, it's kind of like, well, what specifically do you need help with? Like, you know, honestly the day-to-day stuff that I use, it's stuff people know about. It's, you know, it's Google maps, it's all trails. Um, (laughs) nobody needs help figuring those out. I do think as far as like inspiration, um, definitely the four hour work week was really helpful. I I would be interested to reread it post COVID and kind of see now that we've made so much more of this, remote work shift how you know how how relevant it may feel it's yeah, still relevant I, I reread it recently I'm, just FYI you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. okay yeah <laughs> I'm trying to think because like honestly you know my tools for this are pretty like for a road trip in particular it's pretty rudimentary I don't buy travel guides really I I do check Lonely Planet. I do check Atlas Obscura. Um, I found both of those really helpful for kind of finding spaces. Occasionally I do get smart and I'll like check Instagram hashtags for a town or whatever. And sometimes that can help you kind of track down a specific area or hike that's particularly beautiful. Yeah. And then just talking to locals. Um, (laughs) Like I, my last little story that I can share was that I was on the beach in Tuktaaktuk, just kind of hanging out with the dogs and, you know, just, yeah, just bird watching mostly. And I ran into a couple locals and we were talking a little bit. And um, one of them mentioned that down in Inuvik, there was the midnight, there was the midnight sun arts festival going on that weekend. And I was like, hot damn, I had no idea, you know? So, and, and it's two <laughs> hours from Tuktaaktuk to Inuvik. So, 
And I was planning on leaving for Inuvik the next day, but I was like, well, I guess I better start driving if I want to go. And I ended up running the Midnight Sun 10K, you know, and like they had like live music (laughs) and food and, you know, like reindeer poutine and, you know, that sort of stuff, which is just like I... They didn't really have a website. They like had the Facebook, uh, the notifications online were like posted on the town of Anubic Facebook page. I totally would have missed it. Um, But I just kind of bumped into a local and got lucky enough that they told me about it. (laughs) Right. Just meeting people. Yeah, just absolutely so special. And is there any other, because I know that you have family coming in and I don't want to hold you up too much longer, but is there any other tips or anything from this particular trip that you wanted to share or talk about that we didn't hit upon? The first thing I wanted to say was like, if you've got a dream like this, get out there and do it. But that's, you know, that's not the point of the first half of the interview we talked about. We talked about how for a lot of these big trips, it's not a, you know, get out there and go chase it. It's not, I'm not saying like sell all your stuff and move into a van tomorrow. Like I think, figure out what your dream lifestyle is and figure out what steps you need to take to get there. And it may take a while and, you know, figure out what those incremental wins can be and what your stepwise goals look like. And hopefully you'll be able to get there soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot less flashy than saying like, get out there and chase your dreams. But it's, I think it's more realistic. (laughs) Exactly. Let's, you know, quit your job tomorrow and go travel. I don't, I don't personally know one person that has done that successfully. I will just throw that out there. So planning, putting something ahead of time, building something if you want to, or finding some sort of other alternative setup to make it happen and then make it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, if it takes one year, it takes five years. It doesn't matter. Just as long as you get it in during your life, go for it. That's what I feel like, right? Yeah. And don't wait, you know, like, yeah, one of the, yeah, that's maybe the last bit. And and I I don't think anyone who's listening to this is probably thinking this way, but gosh, when I was up in the Yukon, like almost everyone I saw were couples in their sixties and seventies in these big RVs. And I got to, and not that I like, I'm so glad that they're getting this experience and I'm so glad they're getting out there and doing that trip. But like, I'm so glad that I got to do this trip when I'm my age and I was able to hike 10 K every day and get out there and really see all these places. Um, and I think that was the thing that my, my ex said to me that really spurred me the first time we went is he was like, do you really want to wait and do the Pan American highway when you retire? And like, it was just one of those things where I was like, Oh God, no, no, of course not. Like I want to do it now. And he was like, okay. (laughs) And then, you know, and then we started, started planning and prep preparing. We didn't, we didn't start that driving. That was 2016. Yeah, it was 2016 that all that the seed was planted. Yeah. And, and now look, that's that's not a short exactly. time, but at the same time it is. And so it's it's totally mm-hmm. reasonable for. And there was a pandemic listening. in the middle there, which did kind I of mean, slow things down. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, 2020. Yeah. Let's just like remove yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I feel like we, we can remove just... 2020, 2021. <laughs> like those don't count. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I completely yeah. agree. 
Well, Kayla, you're amazing. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, my God. Everybody. Yes. So Kayla has been on before and we've we've put all of our social media on that one. But again, say it again. Like, where can someone find you to follow what you're doing and all the things? Well, and I'll I'll actually plug. I I have two different social medias because, um, you know, (laughs) one is for. So last time we were on, we were talking all about canine conservationists. So I was plugging those social medias. Now we're talking about like my fun life and journey dog training. So um, we are most active on Instagram. That is at Collies Without Borders. Um, my dogs are border collies and we're crossing borders. So haha, very funny. Um, <laughs> uh, and then our website is journeydogtraining.com. And even though it's the website is journey dog training, I'm keeping a vlog and blog kind of in the Collies Without Borders name through Journey Dog Training, just so that it's all kind of under one umbrella and I don't have to manage anything else. So Journey Dog Training, Collies Without Borders, you can find us on most social media platforms. Um, And we are going to have some vlog videos coming out, hopefully by mid-July. I've got a ton of footage that I just need to start going through. Um, I have not been doing a whole lot of video editing while I've been traveling. (laughs) (laughs) can't do everything in one day can't adventure and yeah. video edit at the same time so no that makes and luckily sense. and I've, I've got a three-month pause now so I'm gonna go work on the wind farms in Nebraska make some money hopefully get LASIK on my eyeballs so I don't have to keep dealing with contacts and then we're off to Mexico in mid-October so I've got like a nice pause in the U.S. before we continue on south and we'll hopefully finish the Pan American Highway by June or July of next year Oh, that's so exciting. And of course, yeah. as always, I tell everybody, I will have uh, links to everything in the show notes. So all the resources that Kayla was so graciously gave all of us today. And then, of course, all the links to her social media so that you can follow her too. But yes, Kayla, you're amazing. Thanks again for coming on. Ah, thank you so much for having me on. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. <laughs>